Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Okay, I got a lot to cover today, and if y'all don't mind, we're just going to jump into this and see where it goes, and, and um, we'll wind it up. Uh, I feel like I need to introduce myself to a lot of you. I don't, I don't know a lot of you anymore, uh, some of you, but I'm Clark, and pleasure to meet you. And I can't, I can't tell, you, tell of any other place in the world I'd rather be than right here with you. I love this place. I love the people. Love the church. Thank you, Sal. Give you another 30 minutes to stop that. Uh, okay, when I walk and pray a lot, walk, pray, think, I like being quiet, I like being alone, I like thinking, I like praying, I like hearing, hearing stuff. So when I do that, there's a list of things for which I'm deeply, uh, unalterably grateful to God for. I mean, just, I put the biggest things that there are in that list of things that I'm grateful for. Grateful for a lot of little things too, but those things are the hallmarks of my life that I'm grateful to God for. One of those persons on that list is Javen, Pastor Javen. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to build him up or anything like that. I'm, this is the truth that one of the biggest prayers that God ever answered was the prayer that I prayed for someone to do this in a manner to which not only I approved, but that I was thrilled by and excited by. And that's the way I feel every day. And so, Javen, God bless you. Thank you, you and Brooke, and you're in our prayers. We love you, and we'd do anything for you. Keep up the good work. You're doing great. Love listening to you. Love the teaching that you do. Get a lot out of it. Hear things I've never heard before, which is quite a feat, I might add. <laughs> but he does, he does it all the time. And so I appreciate that very much. I believe, I'm, actually, I'm convinced that Galatians is the most important letter ever written in human history. That's saying a lot, isn't it? There's a lots of very important letters that have been written, communications that have been written in the history of the world. For my, for me, Galatians would be it. The most important letter ever written, written by a man who was one of the greatest men who ever lived. I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul is an utterly, unbelievably amazing man. When he wrote Galatians, he was under attack. You'd have to understand the world in which the gospel came. It was a mess, friends. It was a mess. Jesus came and upset the apple cart, all the stuff that he taught, the life that he envisioned for people to live, the, the call to trust, the call to believe. Everything was new. Everything he said was new. And it was a hard adjustment for the people in that day to adjust to what they were hearing. A lot of them didn't. The Apostle Paul came into a similar situation even after Christ where there were tremendous attacks against him. And why wouldn't there be, really? He's now been... 
totally separated from what he believes to be absolute truth in the past, in the past part of his life. A completely new situation, new paradigm for him. He even told the Galatians in Galatians 4, he says, I became like you are for your sake. Now, don't you become like I was. What he was was a Jew. What he was was a Pharisee. What he was was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. What he was was the best Pharisee that existed. That's what he was. And he was tasked with eradicating Christianity. And he went about it with his typical zeal. He was good at it. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a law, a law teacher of law teachers. He knew it very well. So, how did he get from there to where he was? I believe one of the greatest human beings that ever lived. Well, it started uh, early, pretty early. Uh, Paul was the one, he saw Stephen stoned to death. He was standing there when Stephen was martyred. Might have been calling the shots on that. I don't know. But God met him, didn't he? You know the story of Paul's miraculous salvation, number one. The blindness, the falling from the animal, the deafness. He couldn't see. He didn't know. I'm not deaf. He couldn't see. He didn't know. He didn't know what was happening. Who are you, Lord? That whole thing. And he became a believer. A radical transformation in his life. Miracle. Miracle. Doesn't happen often that way. God had a plan for Paul from the very beginning. It said that immediately he went in a, into isolation. He didn't talk to anybody else. There were periods of time after he received a great revelation from God that he went into the wilderness for three years. He didn't speak to a soul for three years. So great was the magnitude of the revelation that he'd received from God that he could not speak it. Now, the reason I think he could not speak it is he couldn't mentally wrap his mind around him for a long time. He had to settle in in his own heart. He had, to, he had to accommodate this vast, world-changing revelation that God gave him into some kind of communicable language. So he spent time alone. He heard from God. He, he, he said, I saw revelation so great. God took me to the third heaven, whatever that means. He saw revelations that he could not even speak about. And it took all that for Paul to be and become what God wanted him to be and become. Paul interpreted the life, the death, the words, the teachings, the example of Jesus for the world. Paul interpreted what Jesus did for the world, for the rest of us. And <clears throat> that was no easy task. So he comes with this message. He comes back, and, and when he gets back, he starts preaching. He's convinced. He knows everybody's going to throw a fit about this. He knows that going in. The Jews are going to hate him. They already do. He's a turncoat. He's a traitor. He's now with them, and they're going to hate him. Matter of fact, they hated all Gentiles. Just, I'm talking about the Jewish leadership, the, all of the rabbis and the Sanhedrin and the leaders and all that. I don't know about the normal people. They probably didn't, but they did. They hated him. They thought Gentiles were uh, less than human. And so he knows he's going to get reviled by the Jews. But what he doesn't know 
ahead of time, is that he is going to be reviled for his apostleship. His own apostleship is called into being, called into question. Hey, you, you were, you're not an apostle of the Lamb. You weren't one of the original 12 apostles. What makes you think you're an apostle? And he's, and he's a, under attack. And he's under attack to people who are these precious new Gentile believers. And some Jewish believers, but mostly Gentile believers, that don't know anything. That are uh, relatively ignorant. Well, not relatively. They are ignorant. They don't know much. They haven't heard anything. They've heard him. That's all they've heard. That's all they know. And these are vulnerable people. So following after Paul, as he established the church in Galatia and Colossae and all the other churches that he, that he established, the, the Judaizers, as Pastor Javen as well said, they came along behind him and corrupted the gospel that he was teaching the people. They did it in several ways, but a primary way was the, the radical ones of the Judaizers came and told the Gentiles, okay, it's all right if you do that faith thing. That's, a, that's okay to go ahead and do that. But as soon as you get through, you must be circumcised and become a Jew. All that working together, you're going to be all right. Or some of the less radical ones would just come and say, okay, you can do the faith thing and all that, uh, but uh, you're going to you're gonna have to give acknowledgement to the Jewish heritage that this comes from and you're going to have to play by our rules. You can't be saved, you can't know God. With, you can do that grace thing, find faith, that's okay, but you, 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 gotta, you gotta do our deal. Now, why I believe it's one of the most important, well, the most important letter ever written, is if Paul hadn't defended himself against his accusers. And he was alone. You gotta get this, he's alone. He hadn't talked to the apostles. He's going to, but he hasn't yet. He's alone. And if he hadn't stood his ground against the Judaizers and others who would seek to corrupt the gospel that was given to him, he calls it, he calls it my gospel even. Paul's gospel. If he hadn't defended himself, I believe that Christianity probably would have become just another Jewish sect. Just a part of the whole you know, they have all kinds of sects in Judaism that do this thing, following the different rabbis and all that. So it's one of the most important, I believe, the most important book ever written. Written by a great man. Essentially what Paul is saying is this. When he did go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles, to their credit, they listened to him. They did. And he established his, he went over his apostleship. I didn't, I wasn't called by man, I was called by God. Let me explain to you. I was called by God. They said, okay, we, we believe you. He also said, defended his gospel, challenged Peter and the other apostles, and they essentially, in time, backed down and received what Paul had to say. But they, they didn't start it. He did. And he defended it to his death. He suffered incredible things for the purity of the gospel. Shipwrecked, beaten, like, like, what, nine times? Beaten within an inch of his life, nine different times. And he was martyred, as was Peter and the, uh, some of the other apostles, yes. So, the guy's special. And his book is special, his letter is special. Essentially what he's saying is this. There's only two kinds of religions on the face of the earth. That's all that exists. Various forms of those two things. That's it. There's grace and there's everything else. 
All the rest of the stuff is the same. All of it's the same. I don't care what label you put on it. Uh, some are more gentle than others. Some are more radical. Some are mean. Some are vicious. Some are, what, murderers under the guise of religion. But it's essentially the same. All of it's the same. Please your deity with good works. Do what he says. Conform to what he says. Then you can be blessed, maybe. But you've got to keep it up. It's what have you done for me lately. Through all of it. It's rising up every morning. And paying attention to what you've got to do to meet the demands of your God and your religion. All of them fall into that category. Even... <laughs> Javen, I don't know if I ought to say this. Uh, I said some are better than others. I believe evangelical Christianity is better than all those other world religions. I do. Here's the reason why. Uh, because of Martin Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Protestant Reformation, they did come to an understanding that salvation is by grace through faith. They did. They did. They got it. They got it right. And it changed the world. We wouldn't be sitting here today had they not done that, I don't think. However, what they did do, what they didn't do, was properly understand the magnitude of the gospel. They didn't see, for instance, John Calvin and especially Calvin, but also Luther. After he posted, he established a church, but then he instituted all these rules and regulations and all these sanctions against behavior in his church. So did Calvin. Both of them did. All of them did. So... You have mixture coming back into the gospel. I'll grant to you, you can be saved by grace through faith. I'll grant to you, evangelicals will say, if you believe, you are saved. Some of them would even say, you're secure. Half of them would probably say, no, you're not secure. You've got to keep on earning it. You, you, not only, you not only believe, but you earn heaven, really. You earn the right to stay in the position you are to achieve salvation. I, in my opinion, that's not much better than African fetish worship, worshipers where somebody debases himself in front of their deity to please them. Not much different. It has the same impact, really. Over the long course of your life, it'll beat you down, beat you up, traumatize you, shame you, and cause you to be an eternal spiritual infant. You can't grow up under legalism. Have you ever noticed that? You don't have to grow up. Religion treats you like a little child and always will. You don't have a brain. You're not able to choose for yourself. You're not able to do this. You're not able to achieve this. You've got to have our help to do this. You're a little child and you need rules. That's the way you're treated. You never get to come to spiritual maturity where you think for yourself, where you act for yourself, where you do what God tells you to do and you don't do what God tells you not to do and you live your life in union with Him. Those are mature adults. Mature uh, Christian uh, uh, spiritual adults. So, in a lot of evangelical churches, in my opinion, you've got an infant leading a bunch of infants. You've got a toddler. Well, you've got a four-year-old leading the toddlers. They're all about the rules. So Paul's saying there's only two. 
When the Judaizers came behind him, he started aggressively with a great deal of aggression of setting the record straight about his gospel, about the Lord's gospel, the truth of grace. Boy, it cost him. Had he not done that, I don't know what would have happened. Funny thing about, I don't know about Catholics, you Catholics, some of you, you know, I don't know. Uh, you fall into that category too. You can go to heaven, but dang, it's going to be miserable on the way. <laughs> Evangelicals say, I'll let you go to heaven. Yeah, you can go to heaven. Oh, great, great. Yeah, 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 you believe. Go to heaven, go to heaven, go to heaven. Now, you know, repent, stay. Anyway, you know the, you know the drill. You get to go to heaven, though. <laughs> And see, see, all this system of rewards and stuff that, that preachers preach and teach, it's just, it just makes me want to, well, I get frustrated. And anyway, they'll say, they'll say things like this. Yeah, yeah, you, you get to go to heaven. Uh, but that's the good news. The bad news is you don't change some things. You're not going to have any rewards in heaven. You got to earn those. If you're gonna get some rewards in heaven, you got to earn them. And by the way, you'll be you'll be needing some rewards in heaven. You'll be glad you you laid up some treasures there because you're gonna need them when you get there. But you can get rewarded by God later. Good works. And the bad news is, my bad news to you would be you may get to heaven, but you're just gonna be a housekeeper in my mansion. Now, I'm glad you're there, <laughs> but my heaven's going to be a whole lot better than yours, because I, I was a preacher, a pastor, you know, I, I racked up a lot of good points with God doing that. I don't mean to make fun, really. I am deadly serious about this. Deadly serious. There's only one gospel. Only one. There's only one gospel. Only one good news about you and God. One. And it's the one that Paul preached. Jesus preached also. You understand what Jesus is doing in the, even in the Sermon on the Mount? When he's teaching and preaching? You know what he's doing? He's showing the Jews, which that was written to, number one. He's showing them the impossibility of what they're trying to accomplish through law. You say, a man should not commit adultery with a woman. I say to you, Jesus said, that if a man even looks with lust in his heart at a woman, he's committed adultery with her. I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you, Jesus is saying, you can't do it. You can't do it that way. I'm showing you a new way. He also talked about if your hand offends you, what are you supposed to do with it? Cut it off. Get with it. You know? <laughs> The glove industry is going to go bankrupt. <laughs> Jesus is raising the bar, showing them the impossibility, the impossible, the utter human impossibility of keeping the law. There's only two systems, law and grace. 
no matter what, uh, no matter what uh, other thing you put on it. That's basically fundamentally what it is. Okay, I, I told Jabe and I would do, I'm going to let him do Galatians one, uh, 3 through about the first 15 verses because it's, it's like a softball pitch. Just pitch it up there and you hit it out of the park. I mean, it's so simple and so easy to do. So I said, you go ahead, because I could tell last week you were wanting to talk about, you know, Galatians 3. It's the first part. I could tell you wanted to talk about that. So you go ahead and do the easy stuff. I'll take the tough one, the, the section later. By the way, Paul does lay this out fundamentally in Galatians 3, the first I'll talk about in just a second, where he says this. He's doing the same thing he's been doing. Contrasting grace and law. He's saying to them, he said to this to them, you foolish Floridians. <laughs> you foolish. And by that means, he, he means you're, you're fools. You're fools for believing what you believe. Who has, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who spun this web of deceit in your mind? They had received the purity of the gospel from Paul. They'd received it. They were believers. They were still ignorant, but they believed. And he said, you're foolish to believe something contrary to what you've learned. You foolish people. Who has bewitched you? Who spun this web of deceit in your mind? Who came and corrupted what you so eagerly received in the beginning? Who did that to you? You're, you're off your rocker here now. You're thinking wrongly. Before people, before whose eyes Jesus was portrayed as crucified. You, you're close to this event. You're in shouting distance of the greatest event in human history. There's only one thing I want to know from you. Just one thing, folks. Just one. Answer this question for me, he said. Did you receive the Holy Spirit through works of the flesh or by hearing with faith? That's a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit through works of the law, works of the flesh, or by hearing with faith? It's a question. Hearing with faith. Great. Now what makes you so foolish then to believe that having begun by the Spirit, you can be perfected through the flesh? What makes you think you can mix these two things and come up with anything that's any different from every other world religion that exists that's not of God? Don't let this happen to you. I would that those who are following Behind me, corrupting the gospel would be accursed. I would wish myself accursed even for, for the believer's sake. Don't go back. That's what he's saying. Don't you try to become a Jew like I was. I became a Gentile like you are on purpose so you could be set free. So he's contrasting these two ways even from the very beginning. Now, let's read this passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm going to hurry through it, okay? I realize your attention span's short. <laughs> That's why Javen needs to tell a lot of stories, see, to keep your interest. He's good at it, too. I like him. 
All right, let's read this passage of Scripture real fast. I'll mention a few things and then we'll quit. All right. Galatians 3.15. The intent of the law. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. He's quoting Genesis 17. It's also a quote from Acts chapter 3. Same thing. Uh, that is Christ, 17. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on the promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of the transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. It's the, uh, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if the law had been, uh, had been given, which was able to impart life and righteousness, it would have been, indeed have been based on law. But the, but the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. I told you that I got the hard one, right? He, he got all the easy stuff. This is not really hard. It's, it's re relatively easy. Paul is showing the superiority of grace versus legalism. It's very, very superior, and he shows it. Paul is a trained rabbi. He, he knows all the ins and outs of the law. He's an expert on it. He's going to know what they're going to say before they say it. He's, he's, he's all over that situation. First thing he says is this. Do you realize, folks, do you realize, you foolish Galatians, do you realize that grace predates the law? That's what he's saying. Grace predates the law. The promise came to Abraham. You have the Abrahamic covenant. You have the old covenant, the, the law covenant. You have the new covenant. There's some other covenants in there, but those are the major ones. The Abrahamic covenant was made to Abraham by God based on a promise, not based upon his performance. It says in Genesis that, that uh, Abraham was justified, Abraham was righteous because of faith, not because of his law-keeping. Why? Because the law didn't exist when, it, when, it, when God made the promise to Abraham, when he entered into covenant with Abraham. The law didn't even exist. It, took, it didn't take place until 430 years later, as it says. So there was a grace covenant by God with Abraham prior to the law being given 430 years later. And he's saying even a human covenant, when entered into with a mediator, when it's entered into, you can't alter it, you can't change it, you can't add to it. And he's saying the original covenant with Abraham still stands because it's based upon the promise of God. The Abrahamic covenant was looking forward to the new covenant. If you'll, there's so much study to do in all that that it's amazing. It's amazing to you. The pictures, the shadows, the types, all of this. And when God was making the covenant to Abraham, that reflects the new. Jesus' sacrifice. God being the sacrifice in Abraham's covenant, really. God passed through the divided animals and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a great picture. It's a picture of grace. So Abraham was righteous because of his faith. 
not his acts, not his works. And God made a great promise to Abraham. He said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the ethnos of the earth, the ethnic differences, all, different, all peoples are going to be blessed through you. And they were, and they are. But he said, when the promise came to Abraham, it wasn't to you and your seeds, seeds plural, not to your seeds or the, or the, the many. The promise to Abraham, you're going to bless many nations through the seed, through Jesus. Jesus is the seed. He was the seed. So Christ came through. He, 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 he was a Jew. So they produced Christ. And through him all the nations, the ethnos of the world will be blessed. Sounds like the new covenant, doesn't it? Well, essentially it's the same covenant. Essentially. So it predates the law. And there's nothing you can do to change it. It's legal. Now here's the second thing. I'm just kind of rushing through this. Here's the second thing. It's very important in here. If you have a covenant between two people, there's two parties there. So it takes the actions of one and the actions of, other, uh, of the other to keep this covenant going and ratified. You do your part, I do my part. Sometimes there's a mediator over it that kind of helps you do that. But by and large, that's what it is, a covenant that can't be changed. I'm going to do my part. You're going to do your part. we got a deal, and it's going to last. Can't change it. Can't alter it in the midstream. Now, what Paul says here in so many words was this. A promise is different from a covenant. A covenant takes two. A promise only takes one. I make a promise to you, I make a promise to you, regardless of what you do or don't do. A promise is a promise. God made a promise to Abraham that through him, Jesus would come, and through Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's a promise. It's not a covenant. It's a promise. God keeps his promises. They're all yea and amen. So, the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace which reflects or foreshadows the new covenant which is utterly of grace. All of it. So Paul's saying, you're on the wrong track, folks. I'm trying to show you that it's been grace all along. We just didn't know it and we didn't see it, but we do now. At least he did. So he establishes that in their, in their thinking and in their minds right off the bat. It was an unchangeable covenant because it's made upon, based upon a promise. And Jesus always fulfills the promise. Verse 17 and 18. What am I saying is this, the law came 400 years and so forth and so on, the covenant re previously ratified, so it's nullified the promise. The promise, it's about the promise, not about the law. Well, why did the law come in then? What good is the law? Well, he said it's because of transgressions, right? He's saying the law came because you needed a definition of what sin is, so to speak. Because where there is no law, there is no sin. You don't have a standard by which you judge your actions, then anything goes, right? He's saying the standard by which you judge yourself is this. The law reflects 
some good things about God. Uh, it's perfect. Why is it perfect? It's perfect because it brings people to utter helplessness that they cannot keep the law. Can't do it. I don't care how much you torture yourself. I don't care how meticulous you are. I don't care how good you are at it. I don't care how pure you are. You think you are. I don't care about any of that. You cannot do it. They couldn't and you can't. It's an impossible standard that God established to show us our need for Christ. Including them. All of that pointed toward Jesus. We point back to Jesus. Grace is all there is, folks. And it will work. You take all leavening out of the law, all leavening out of grace, it'll work. It's pure. When it's pure, in its pure form that Paul taught, and you don't let any other mixture get in it, it'll work for you. And it will grow you up. It will give you the situation where you can make choices on your own based upon what God's saying to you, not what somebody else is saying to you. Now, my, I don't want to control you. I really don't. You're too hard to control. You're a bunch of wild people. You're crazy. I can't control you. Every time I've tried to control a church, they go every which way. Somebody's off the rails everywhere all the time. Like a bunch of little kids running crazy. I'm not going to try to control you. I trust you. More than that, I trust God with you. You make your own choices. You decide what's right. Go to scripture, but you make your own choices about what's right. How you live your life. What you believe. You'll find yourself living in liberty. And liberty's a little scary at first. You're, you're used to the structures of law. Telling you what you can do, what you can't do, what you need to do. Somebody telling you always, when you do this, you need to do this. You, 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 you got to grow. You, 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 you know, all endless, endless. Every message like that, do this, do this, do this, do this. Ten ways to have success. Ten ways to overcome. Ten ways to do this. Ten ways to do that. Like little children telling you little, little things, little, little things, little children, childish things. You never get the meat of the gospel. You never understand the great grandeur of the gospel. You never get to see what I see. You never get to see what I see and what many of you see. You never get to see it. And that breaks my heart people that live in defeat or pride one or the other if you think you're doing good at keeping the law then you get proud look at me I'm better than them or you live in utter defeat I can't do it so Lord I just give up I quit I drop out of church I run from you I can't do it I don't want it many have done that many just stay because that's the only place they got I get that too I was doing an interview the other day and one of the things I said was you know a lot of my peers that I spent 30, 40 years of being around and preaching with and traveling with and doing all kinds of conferences and presbyteries and all kinds of things most of them don't get it they think they do. They spent so much time with me. They think they do. But they don't. They get some of it. But they don't get it. I'm sorry that they don't. And you know how I know they don't get it? 
even though they're gracious people, even though they're gracious men, even though they're good people and good men. And I have a deep heart to help people. All of that's there more than it is with me. I know they don't get it. You know how I know? I know they don't get it because they don't feel about it like I do. It's just something else to add to the, to the mix. Grace is something to add to the mix. Helps the mix, you know. Does real well in the mix, but that's all it is. Part of the mix. Mixture. You know how I know they don't get it? Because they don't feel about it like I do. Because every person I know that sees what I see feels what I feel. Oh, don't you? Don't you? Every one of you that see the fullness of grace feel like I do. You wake up in the morning thrilled about it. You can walk in peace. You come to rest. You see God you, you worship, in your worship. It means more. I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm worshiping a God that I understand better than I used to. He's better than I thought. He's greater than I thought. He's more loving than I thought. He's more kind than I thought. He's bigger than I thought. And He's taken care of things better than I thought. From start to finish. I'm free. I'm righteous. I'm holy. And that's never going to change. Never going to change. So you can keep whatever laws you want to. Go for it. Some of them are good. They are. But that's not the point of your life. You and God are in union with one another. The life of God is your life. What would it say about God if what the legalists say is true? What does that say about God? Yeah, I'll let you get saved. Get saved. Boy, you act awful. And I'm going to have to do some things to straighten you out. So there's going to be some trouble coming to you. I hope you respond to it correctly. If you don't, you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to get rewards. You're never going to measure up. You don't. What does that say about God? And by the way, I think I'm going to just create a whole mass of people out here that don't have a chance to be saved. I'm just going to predestine them to go to hell. I'm just going to create this group over here. All of you guys, I created you all. Good thing you're sitting over here because you seem to know who your people are. All of you here don't have a chance no matter how much you go to church y'all are y'all are y'all are going to hell all of you okay this group goes to hell ah i kind of like this group good thing you collected together y'all 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 got it made you don't have to worry about anything got it made uh y'all are still it's up in the air whether you're going to do it or not i don't know i hadn't made up my mind about you yet what does that say about god Do you want to worship a God like that? I don't. I want to run from him. I want to say, if that's what you're like, I'm just, I'm out. I'm done. But he's not like that. 
It's not like that. He loves you so much. promise you, Abraham, that through you and your seed, all of the nations, the ethnos of the world are going to be blessed. And those that know me through you will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea. Welcome to God's family. Rejoice in it, revel in it, and never let anybody put you under law, or Paul will be on your tail. Why don't you stand up and let me pray for you. By the way, the covenant that God established in the new is irrevocable. It will never change. It's done. Nothing left to you. God made a covenant with his own son. God made a covenant with himself. You couldn't do it, so I did it. Same thing he did with Abraham. Abraham couldn't do it, so God carries the glory through the sacrificial animal. It's him, it's him, it's all him. Always what? Now I want to pray for you. I want you just, I know for some of you, this, this, all this is so new. Please go to the classes. There's some things taught in those classes that are going to fundamentally help you. It lays a foundation for what what grace believes, what we believe about grace in, in several aspects of life. It'll bless you. Okay? If you haven't, please read my book. Would you please? Just get started. Get started on it. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll make you really happy or really mad, one or the other. I mean, and getting mad about something I read is not bad. It challenges you to think, doesn't it? Go do that, please. And never underestimate, please, please, I was thinking about this today again, never underestimate the importance of little outposts of grace like this one. There are not many of them. Not many. But they're growing. There's more and more and more little groups of people gathering who celebrate the great grace of our God. So never underestimate it. Never underestimate the leavening of grace that's going out also, it spreads. Lord, bless these dear ones. I pray that you'll anoint them, fill them with your presence, your spirit. I pray, Lord, for great liberty in our thinking and thought. I pray our eyes will be clear as we see you as you really are, a Father who loves us more than anything else. You loved us so much that you gave your only son to die for us. What a great love that is. Thank you, Lord. I pray that will challenge and bless every person here in the future. That they'll never forget who they are in you and how secure they are in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.